What's going on, everybody? And welcome or welcome back to the Marvel Pair Up podcast, where we look at every episode of each Disney Plus show for the MCU and pair it up within the genre it's in to give you a fun history of the genre, the influences of it, the movies that defined it, and how all of those have culminated into whichever chapter of the MCU you are in. So if you're a Marvel fan and like dumb movie history, this is the place for you. If you've been with us since WandaVision, welcome back. And if you're joining us now, go back and wa- listen to all of the WandaVision and forward ones. As always, I'm your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is Jamie Jirak. Hello. And Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And we are kicking off our new mini-series. I guess they're all technically mini-series within the series. It's a very meta idea. And we are now at Miss Marvel, which of course brings us to the teen coming of age genre. And in this episode specifically, we're going to talk a little bit about Miss Marvel, a little bit about the genre itself, because in prepping for this episode, I realized this genre expands to so many smaller. There's like the college coming of age, the high school coming of age, the regular ones, sex comedies, teen comedies. And all of it won't be part of Miss Marvel, but a lot of it will influence where we are. So we're going to go with Miss Marvel. What defines this genre? The 50s, 60s, and 70s. And let's kick it off, guys. What did y'all think of Miss Marvel's first episode? Oh, it's so cute. It's so fun. <laughs> it's such an it's such a nice uh, change of pace after like all the trauma that the MCU is throwing our way. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I'm I love the trauma, but like it's nice to have like girl who's doing fanfic and uh you know just like just try to live her high school life and it's really sweet and i like that a lot i feel like we're about to enter the like fun era this year with this thor and she hulk we're gonna get some like we're gonna be able to just have a nice little time which is again not to say a uh, uh, trauma time's not bad it's just it, this is refreshing she's great and it's just so awesome that in real life she's such a marvel nerd because it, it makes it makes her, it just makes it all feel more genuine. And I love that because we all are her. We all are Marvel nerds and and it's like, we're all being represented and not just us as Marvel nerds, but culturally people who haven't been represented in this way are being represented. And that's awesome too. It's just like all across the board, uh, adorable. And uh, Kevin Feige, let's get AvengerCon ASAP. We need it. Happening now. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm in that same boat. I thought this was adorable. I on the road that we're doing and I just as I've gone down in history I'm like I think I just teen genres might teen comedies might be one of my favorite genres of film uh and the more and more I think about it I'm like oh yeah and it's, it's weird because obviously each of these come out and they're talking about a new new age of teens I'm always aged up beyond that but I still feel like nope I can this is placing me back into that moment when like oh yeah I want to I need to this party means so much to me or this this con in this case means so much to me I got to find a way to get out of this you still can relate to that. And 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 this does a really good job of, of putting me back into that childhood element and like, oh yeah. And does it in a, an amazingly stylized way. Like it gave me some Scott Pilgrim vibes. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm all in on all of this. Doing the text messaging through the signs on the window and through the street. I'm like, ah, oh, this is some of that. Just you're out thinking out the box and just having a ball with this. And you're right, Jamie, she is a delight like I could watch her do anything and what and I've gone down the rabbit hole of now watching all of her like press conferences and her stuff I was like she's a full-on geek and nerd 
she's upset about black bolt stuff she's just uh, like fangirling over robert i was like i i love this girl and when it was all said and done i was like i can't i can't wait to get more of this uh this teen coming of age story you're right it is sort of a reprise a reprieve off of all the angst and grief that we've gotten in all of these tv uh marvel tv shows this is the first one that's kind of like let's go let's go have fun this way um and i i truly appreciate that and i also am you mentioned it. I am really, really happy that a group of folks get to have representation. I know how that felt when when Black Panther happened and we all lost our damn mind. I'm hoping that this happens the same for everybody who is now getting some type of representation on screen for them. I, I want to say I'm my biggest complaint about the show is that it's only six episodes because I want to talk about all the teen movies forever because it's also one of my it's I'm obsessed with teen movies. Uh, I'm so excited for this journey that we're about to take, but I'm like upset because there's so much I want to talk about that like we're not gonna have time to talk about because there's only six episodes. I know I think that I think this is one genre uh, and Jamie I'm kind of glad that you put us in a place that's very similar to when we did WandaVision of like this decade by decade evolution of it where since WandaVision it's been more thematic and I think this is a genre and even the idea of being a teenager and growing up through these years is so well paralleled by the movies especially with the three that we're going to get into uh soon that I'm like that we could do this forever uh, especially with things that I learned that I'm going to talk about after we finish talking about this episode. But I agree with everything you guys said. Uh, everybody who knows me and knows the show and knows us knows that I, WandaVision has been and probably will continue to be my favorite MCU show by leaps and bounds. But this pilot was my favorite pilot since that. I felt kind of that same weird... I hate to say magic, but like that weird magic of like, oh, we're really doing something that while we've done in the context of like the film industry, we haven't really done in the MCU. And I'm sure everyone's going to be like, Spider-Man Homecoming, but hear me out. That's not really a high school teen coming of age story. That is a superhero mentor story with John Hughes homages. This is like full on her relationship with her parents, she's rebelling, she's growing up. Everything you guys said about diversity and inclusion. And while I am like a white straight cis male, I always find that when we do these things with more diversity, I'm so much more interested because it is giving me a piece of a genre I didn't really know before. There was so much in the culture and in how they talked and the dynamic of her and her parents that was so unique to this story and this character that I loved watching because I haven't seen that spin on it before. This this other take that is so similar, but so different at the same time. And, and Terrence, you're right. All this like Edgar Wright light stuff, there's drawing, even just the opening of her like explaining the MCU to yeah. us with the this like pop-up book. I immediately was like, For this is it. Like you got me. I'm sold. Let's do it. And yeah. it, it really shows where the MCU always shines. When like, there's obviously a formula. Even these TV shows have a formula. We all know it. We like, we like it. But whenever they really kind of go, just slightly left to their normal formula and throw in some change, is when I get the most excited. And even just intros like that, I was like, I love this. This is also why I liked 
Iron Man 3 with the dumb little crayon drawing. I love all of this, just like how it's impacted other people. We've never seen, and we've seen glimpses of it. I think about Thor Ragnarok when those two girls are, I'm such a fan, take our photo. And there's been action figures and signings. And it almost feels like a more benevolent version of the boys where like that's so much superheroes are a corporation. And this is like, they're just celebrities and famous and people right. like them. Uh, I do want to talk about AvengerCon because I, as a like filmmaking person, immediately was like, how expensive was that set? How long did that take? <laughs> and I, I bet this was one day and we're never coming coming back. And if we get in the symbol documentary, I just want the production designer to be like, I worked for months on this to build this nonsense. Yeah. for them to shoot it like three times. <laughs> We're never coming back to that set. Everything else is going to be smaller. Uh, but even just to see how the fandom in that world is, I also was like, who's getting paid for AvengerCon? Because we know Sam isn't. Sam's not making any money. And there's no more S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> I was like, so there is some weird corporation somewhere making money off of these guys. And I want to know about that. about that that's interesting yeah like none of these folks i mean two of them are gone and thor doesn't care about money <laughs> you know you say shield is gone but i is it because in uh no way home or far from home even though they weren't the real nick fury and maria hill they still were there like is a shield people. around yeah um, yeah of course you know in in the world of agents of shield it exists but that's yeah still an, an unknown factor yeah so. it's uh all of this i, I think the, the one thing too because you mentioned no no way home people were like with that two, there's two parts one spider-man at the beginning of that was already full-on super he was, a, he was a hero at that point so it wasn't like he was gaining anything he sort of knew the hero part of it but i think the big point is we we've all mentioned the cultural identity but we're doing a coming of age of a young lady which we haven't had that in this world either like this has all been dudes up to this point besides black widow who's been a 12 train up to that point so seeing a young girl grow that's also pretty awesome to me too and even like like kate bishop's like there but she's like she's is she's, herself yes yeah, so she's pretty she's knows, knows who she is like point. like there's nothing like she's like she's so like confident and she is like 20 like she's like in in certain stories like she could be but she's not yeah she's but, like so to get something so small and it, it, it just uh, it's a throwaway look but just to see her and how her mom keeps responding like you don't want to wear those sexy outfits and I'm like oh yeah I guess that would be different for her as a woman and her looking at her costume and like not I was like oh I'm not a young girl but Jesus that broke my heart the moment for me that I was like whoa was when she was trying on uh dresses with her mother and the guy was somebody was like you're too short and her mother's like she's not but then her mother's friend came in and said she was too short and her mother then agreed and I was like oh that's some shit my mom would do <laughs> we're like where she would like had my back until her friend showed up and now yeah. she doesn't anymore I was like oh that was so good I felt that one deep in my soul <laughs> And there were a lot of small, relatable moments of just like, I've also, like in the, in the most tame way, rebelled against my parents. Where it is just like, I just want to go to like Chicago. And they're like, oh, the big city, you're young. And it's like, I'm not doing drugs or having sex <laughs> right. or smoking. Like, just let me go to the museum. <laughs> like, I, 
it the, like the smallest stakes that at the time are just so big and consequential. Yeah. yeah, every everything is world ending, and if you don't get it, it's gone forever. And it, but it had so many other moments too of like the dad dressed like the Hulk and her like like it hurts him because he's trying, but it's still embarrassing and it's not quite the point. And you're like, oh god, like it, yeah, like I feel bad uh, for everybody in that room. I was like, Jesus, I I hurt for all of you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I would have been. I would if it's like my mom had painted herself green i would have been like yes that was a moment where i'm like girl i don't know he's really trying he's trying <laughs> oh i've a hundred percent had that with my parents where they're like i'm gonna play video games with you and your friends and i'm like no and then they're mm-hmm. like oh, but i wanted to do that <laughs> it's like it's very a goofy movie where it's like i want to be yeah. a part of your life still and it it's such a specific window of time to like do a coming of age because i feel like the parent relationship is like i need them for like food and to not die and then like, I need them like just a little bit. And then I'm going to tell myself that I don't need you right. for anything ever. And everything you do is wrong, uncool and dumb. Right. And then it's like, I was wrong about everything. You are my let's best be friend. Friends. Please let's, yes. <laughs> and then you become like 30 and you're like, you don't know anything. <laughs> Neither do I. And that's okay. <laughs> I love the, the touch of the mom keep who kept calling the con a party. Because it was like that's such a like like you're not listening or understanding right. what this is. Stop you calling keep, your party. You're just you, keep, you already have in your brain what this yeah, is, and you're is. not listening to what I'm saying. It's the that it's the like, mom every Christmas who wants to buy her son a Nintendo, <laughs> and that's just what every video game system yep. is. It was so like, oh my god, they just got all the idiosyncrasies and behaviors. It was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> it yeah, was. It was the whole thing. Uh, my one. It's such a stupid gripe and it's not even really a gripe. It's more just like a joke I made. She sneaks out of her house on that tree. The branch breaks and she falls. And I was like, ooh, that would hurt. And then the branch lands on top of her. And a part of me was like, that is the most unrealistic thing in the MCU. That would, yeah. I would not get up. I would not have gotten up from that. She was, like, she's maybe like 98, 99 pounds. That tree would hurt a lot. Oh, I was like, oh man. I was like, she doesn't have her powers yet, Marvel. <laughs> Iron Man falls from the sky in like Iron Man 1 in a metal suit and stuck in the sand for a week. And I'm like, sure, totally. Why not? Yeah. I this, I'm that. like, nah, I've fallen out of trees. That's nonsense. <laughs> You're not just walking that off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh man, she doesn't need her powers. She's perfect. <laughs> Uh, I also love too. It was very Edgar Wright, where that giant hammer swings and hits the the bully, and the bully guys. This is such a great gotta have evolution of like, and I think Spider Man also did it well. And then we kind of made Flash Thompson like a frenemy, but it's like, yeah, I don't really need the not that I dislike it, but the Sam Raimi Flash Thompson, where it's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to fight me neither. And I'm like, I don't know that that's a relevant type of bully now but Not this anymore. was so subtle mm-hmm. and mean and i just you hate it you hate it you even then hate it because i've always made jokes jamie and i talked about this at WonderCon, where i was like you know there's always so many great costumes and then there's just like a dude with abs who just like he wins wolverine because he just yeah. looks like wolverine and you just that's straight the, out trot out the yeah. blonde good looking girl in a half-assed men captain marvel uh, outfit and yeah they, they're gonna win that and even when she was like she doesn't even like the superheroes I was yeah. like look we don't want to gatekeep here Kamala but I have been there where I <laughs> my bullies have walked into the GameStop I walked in and bought Call of Duty and I was like no 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 
I got all the Pokemon. I saved the princess. I got the Chaos Emeralds. You don't get to come around here now and parade around with your biceps like no. you're some person who does this, you imposter. Uh, but I loved it. I thought all of it was good. I love that her friend I'm, is crushing on her and she doesn't, she's not quite feel aware of it. Okay, I was confused because I assumed the first half of the episode that that child was gay. Um, and then <laughs> at that moment, I was like, oh, oh. I misread this situation entirely. <laughs> and then in the con, when she saves her, I thought they had a moment. So I was like, I'm really misreading what's happening. When, when, when I was like, okay, I need to re reverse my brain because I, I just assumed that that kid was gay. <laughs> But that's great that he's good for him. You're allowed to be straight, children. Hey, he might be, he might be, he might be just checking it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I'm very excited to see where it goes. I think the only thing we didn't really talk about is her powers. They've changed. It doesn't does that bother you. Does that bother you? I know I've read this comic and I know it her powers are very different. What's weird though, in Bravo to the writers. Everything else is exactly the same. It's they perfect. Changed her power where she got her power set, so I don't um, have a problem with it. Isn't it? Wouldn't? Isn't it Terra Genesis or she like the yeah. mist? Yeah, she gets hit with the mist. She's so she's an inhuman basically. They're kind of wiping out. Like I mean, you know, or if they like, maybe they'll incorporate them somehow. But they're they not to do that. So what are you supposed to do? Not have the character at all? And in theory, we do we don't know where the those bracelets come from. It could yeah. still be from some type of it seems cosmic yeah. the way that it all looks, but it could be inhuman. Like we don't know. So Maybe I it's Johnson hard to get it. About to show up. <laughs> I uh I don't agree with the notion that they're changing it because of Mr. Fantastic. I think that's ridiculous. We've had so many people with punch, the same powers. Punch punch kick folks before. I don't see how we would start doing it. Yeah, that I was now. like, I don't know why that would be the thing. I'm I don't have any evidence, but there is a part of me that's like, narratively, I get what they're saying. Her powers came from the Terrigen Mist, which at the time of the comics was a very big part of the overall story of that time. We're now going to change her powers to be something that's big to the overall story of the MCU so that it's thematically a one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. There's a small part of me that wonders if this is also simply cheaper than making stretchy, stretchy super good-looking powers the whole time. Right. Um, but no, it doesn't bother me at all. Do you, like, do you know how many things we've changed about comics since I like the X Men wore black suits? <laughs> I was say X Men one and two were still some of my favorite comic book movies like, ever, and they were wearing black Matrix outfits. Yeah, so. it's, don't speak to me to the <laughs> old magic. I was there when it was written. I've seen all the changes. Yeah, Green Goblin was running around like a Stephen King character, and like it's, I don't care. It's fine. You had <laughs> organic webs to non-organic webs. We've done this so often. Get over it. Yeah. Which is why uh, now, like, I didn't care about the whole Doctor Strange 616 thing until I heard her argument in real oh, life. Oh, nope, that's been bothering me the whole time. I, I didn't, it didn't really, I never really <laughs> did. But then her, I'm like, no, she's right. We, that's, she's yep. right. I uh, was full of rage when they did that. <laughs> uh, I have done a lot of work on my Don't Be an Angry Nerd, but when we did, like, Mysterio 616, but he's a liar, and then when they were like, actually, Mysterio was correct, it is 616, but now the comics of this, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was like, how dare you? Oh, don't you so do this. So when she was on that carpet, like, look, guys, I'm glad to be here, but let's get some things straight. I was like, yes. That's a hundred percent. If I was ever a director of these movies, I'd be like, we gotta we gotta undo that, guys. <laughs> gotta be a mistake. Eight four whatever was wrong. <laughs> six one six is somewhere else. We've decided. 
should we get into these coming of age movies? Oh, please. Oh my God. I want to talk All about right. that. So at the top of the show, I mentioned we were going through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. What I don't think I did was tell you the movies. We're doing Rebel Without a Cause for the 50s. We are doing Beach Party for the 60s and American Graffiti for the 70s. And before we really dive into this, I, I want to quote an article that I found because I, as I was looking at the like the why of Rebel Without a Cause, what I learned, and I don't know if anybody knew this before me, was that the term teenager really came about in 1944. That until then, we didn't really have a word for like youth culture. And then my dumb brain went down a huge rabbit hole and I'm going to take five minutes of our podcast now to really get into this. But first I wanna quote this excerpt. I'm gonna look at my other screen because I also want to cite this correctly. This is taken from Teenage, the creation of youth culture from 1874 to 1945 first appearing in a published playtext by Glenn Waldron for the Boundless Theater production. During 1944, Americans started to use the word teenager to describe the place of youth in their society. From the very beginning, it was a marketing term that recognized the spending power of adolescence within a culture that thought of business in terms of national identity and individual freedom. The fact that youth had become a market also meant that it had become a discrete, separate age group with its own peer-generated rituals, rights, and demands. They then coined the word teenager and marked the emancipation of adolescence, which I think is fascinating. Because then when you look at what was happening in the 50s as we returned from war, right before Rebel Without a Cause came out, a lot of states started getting rid of child labor laws, factory laws, and suddenly teenagers weren't were just out and about and mm -hmm. living their lives after school. Cars were becoming more accessible. Music was exploding. There were counterculture scenes happening. All of these things were starting to bubble up and there was no real word. Because before that, even in, like, in film, and this is gonna lead into Rebel Without a Cause, because this is what piqued my interest was, how were adolescents handled in movies before that? And I immediately, if you know me, you know that I love old gangster movies. So I went to James Cagney and I go all the way back to the 1930s during the Hayes Code when it was like, if you're going to make gangster movies, they basically need to be PSAs. The Hayes Code said, you can't glorify something bad. So these have to be warnings. So specifically Scarface and Public Enemy. And I think Little Caesar was in there, but I don't think it had the exact same this big opening of like the teenager, the, well, not the teenager, but they're like the adolescent, they're obsessed with the gangster culture. The mobs are out there and they're influencing our youth and they're taking it and things are getting bad. They would die, they were tragedies, young people corrupted by something and then this would happen. This went on really until White Heat in the late 50s, one of James Cagney's last big gangster movies before he went independent, blah, 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 blah. And it was the first time that he did a movie that sort of glorified being bad. And critics hated it. They were worried. There was not unlike today. What is this doing to the children? They're going to see us glorify this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what he is pretty wild. It's uh, I. It's it's. We. I watched it. I took an American Gangster class in college, and that was like one of the first things we watched. And but it is funny because we could do a whole other podcast on how how people incorrectly perceive gangster movies and i'm waiting for that gangster show yeah yeah <laughs> one day there will be a gangster show we can <laughs> do. 
like people with like you know their Scarface memorabilia and stuff and it's oh, like the black culture has adopted Scarface like it's its best friend like guys you've taken all the wrong things from this movie I'm not a, I mean, I'm not a big Scarface fan I, I prefer it's Curly not really a good movie either but that's a whole different side that's another conversation yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that of course brings us to Rebel Without a Cause we've now taken the teenager out of the B-list role Teenage kids are out, they're swinging. Like so many others, they want representation. And it's so funny to think that there was a time where like white teenage boys were like, but where am I in the movies? But it happened. <laughs> and Warner Brothers leapt right on it. I think it's so funny how many of these movies are so counterculture and rebellious and thinking that we created teenage and coming of age to market them and bring them right into the system they were fighting is the best irony of this whole genre now. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I didn't know we just created that word to be like, sell them stuff. Make them feel seen. Uh, so it came out. And similar, I think, to the gangster movies, as we transitioned out of them and into this, he is a hero, he's confused, he's lost, but in so many ways, it's still a tragedy. We're sort of glorifying it, but we're sort of giving warnings. But I've talked enough. Jamie, how do you like Rebel Without a Cause? So I, one of the reasons I had picked this is because I'd never seen it and I wanted to see it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I thought it was great. Uh, and it's interesting because for most of the movies we're doing for this podcast are much lighter than this. Um, this is definitely, I think, probably the most dramatic we are going to get on this podcast. Um, most of what we're doing is very cutesy, uh, but this movie is dark and it, and it adds to the darkness that all three leads died tragically in real life. Um, which like- Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that Neo was stabbed. Yeah. I yeah, so you're right, all of them. <laughs> all three of them had like tragic deaths and uh, and that like adds to the whole ickiness of it. And like, and it's intense. That knife fight scene, I was like on the edge of my seat and, and scared. And the end, um, uh, I, it was uh, the whole movie. And But it's interesting because it's like, it also is icky and weird. It's a weird movie. All the parent stuff is weird. Her relationship with her father is fucked up because what's happening there is that he is trying to suppress his daughter's sexuality because he clearly wants to fuck her himself he's attracted but he, to her he's yeah. but he's trying to like push those feelings down um and and so all she wants is for her to, for him to be her daddy and yeah. he won't do that because he's trying to draw a line so he doesn't try to fuck his own daughter and that's screwing with her because she doesn't realize that's what's happening she just mm -hmm. thinks her father doesn't love her anymore um and then I loved James James Dean's father in this movie. I can't think of the actor's name, but it's Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island. Yes. That's how I know him. And I really loved his character. Um, just this kind of bumbling, you know, he's just embarrassed by his dad and the way that his dad lets his mom walk all over him. And just all the parental dynamics, the, the uh, Saul's character, the fact that he, his parents aren't around, you never meet them. He just has his, his nanny. Um, and that's it. And and I just I really loved all the 
parent dynamics in this. And that's not something a lot of teen movies really focus on um, because it's all about the teens. And uh, anyway, yes, I, I, and I really, what's interesting, I, when we get to American Graffiti, I want to talk a little bit more about this, but I'm going to wait till we get there because uh, there's, I think, an interesting juxtaposition between both films, but in between, we got Dog Beach Party. <laughs> that's, uh, that's my Rebel Without a Cause reaction. Uh, this is my second time seeing Rebel. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. This is like one of those, because of what happened to James and how he's been such a, he's an iconic person. Same with Natalie, she is as well. But uh, I had to watch, I watched this a while ago and it didn't mean as much to me back in the day, but now that I watch this as an, an adult and seeing them play teens for the, at that time, probably for the first time that you actually got to see teens be teens, because usually they were a prop. They were like the side or a B story on the sideline. You really didn't get to lead with them. This opens with them and closes with them. And you just get to go on that, that, that angsty road, like him moving from town to town. He goes to that new school trying to kind of fit in and he gets into a fight and it just all just spirals down from that. I, I want to piggyback a bit off of what you said, Jamie, how all the parental figures, they're all terrible. They're all bad in some way or another. But it's funny to me because the sheriff at the very beginning is probably the best parental figure to James to, to, to Jim in the entire movie. Like he pulls him to the side, like, hey, let's have a conversation. And his parents try to follow him in that room, like, nope, it's just gonna be me and him. I want to have a combo with him. And even with the punch that he tries to throw on him, he knows like this kid's there's something going on here. We need to get to the bottom of that. And like he just takes the time to kind of figure that out. I was like, hey, if you need to contact me, I was like, wow, this officer at the very beginning of this movie is the only father figure that he's had in this entire movie because no one else has been there, been that person for him. But and that was that stuck with me as oh that's a, kind of a cool way to open this movie. And then you have Natalie trying to the the love that she's not getting from her dad that she's missing. She's trying to get from every other male that she can. She's just hanging out with dudes all the time, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But you know the way that we see it, she's she's just trying to recreate that 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 male that male attention. And unfortunately, the male gaze is not looking at from her father. She's trying to get it from everywhere else. Poor Apollo. I mean Plato. I just she's. I he's that's a rough character <laughs> that is a rough character I feel bad for him anytime that he failed abandoned I was like oh somebody hug this hug this boy uh and the part that got me the most um and I like never been there but we we get different worlds of teens with each decade that we go along but just to know that your parents will send you a check and be like that's all they think of you it's like here's some money be gone I don't care enough to, to call you think about you even see what you what is going on in your life i don't care i've paid for my debts that's all i owe to you as a as a parent that is why it's interesting because yes to all of that i also just love the the look and feel of the movie especially you know watching marvel movies and jurassic world and everything like today and to go back to like anything with cinemascope and technicolor and these long, deep shots, like it's such a like lost art of how we used to do it. And there was even something watching it this time where I was like, oh, it's almost like the movie is so challenging thematically and story-wise, but it's almost oddly soothing in its like style and direction. Cause you're just like, oh, everything's very bright and nice and everyone looks good and it's so stylized. And it, I think that helps kind of almost juxtapose the era where so much stuff was propagandized to be like this ideal family and all of these things. And the reason uh, this movie, Jamie's Right, is the most intense that we're probably gonna touch on. You could probably make arguments for some of them. I feel like a lot of these movies do have some stuff that's like, oh, it's rough. Um, 
growing up is rough. But this one is so, so part of that cultural shift where we were really starting to be like, hey, all the stuff that you guys had pre-war, like the world is different now. Mm-hmm. All of this is wrong. Like every scene with his dad leading up to him, like attacking him is him just being like, tell me what to do. And I stop giving, yeah. And it, it's, I feel like that was what a lot of people that age at that time were screaming because so much was happening. So many industries were changing. There was so much like growth and confusion and weird stigmas happening. And if you weren't this perfect family, this Norman Rockwell painting, everything was wrong and no one got an answer. I think it, it happens a lot today right now too. I feel like there's a lot of people younger than us and even us sometimes being like, hey, can someone tell me what to do? Because the whole like, go to college and then buy a house thing, not happening. Not working. Uh, yeah. So like, what am I going to do now? And then the people who are supposed to tell you are like, I don't know. Got nothing. Shit changed. I don't know. Uh, and it, it's very funny because I think it, it kind of flips on its head some of the other stuff we were talking about. Because obviously the movie, even on Warner Bros. on HBO Max is still be like a tragedy is in the genre description. So there is still kind of this weird like 40s gangster tone of like people are going to make it and there's sort of a warning here but the warning is almost to the parents and like old ideologies and it's so much more to Terrence's point when it opens up on like I want to help you nobody else is coming now it's almost a weird warning of like hey the kids are changing and if you as the parents and adults don't listen to them and help them, this is what happens. this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. As opposed to before where it was like, and if you let your children out at night, if they go along with a man with a hat tipped, he's going to come back a booze hound. Like <laughs> the, now we're like, boo, we got to straight up and fly right. It's great because that's so much of how that genre then went forward. And I think that then brings us into the 60s because so much else was like a knockoff of this for so long until they embraced the comedy side of this genre. And then even further is Beach Party, a movie I don't think, had any of us seen Beach Party before this? No, and I'm I'm just, I can, I, I part of me is like wishes that I had before so that I could have just been like, no, let's make this full episode about the Beach Party genre <laughs> because it's fascinating. I watched the first two because I needed to know more and I can't, I'm going to watch them all. I 100%. Yeah, um, that was the first thing that like, I noticed. I looked it up and it was like the first of seven. I'm like, I'm sorry, what now? Oh, this yeah. was, um, this was the American Pie of that time. There's like three <laughs> that are for real and then a bunch of like, been all, hey! Yeah. <laughs> like, so Frankie and Annette are in a lot of about 80 percent of them they're in there yeah and this was exciting for me because obviously Grease is my favorite movie of all time so I'm familiar with Frankie because he sings beauty school dropout you know um uh uh, but uh Frankie and Annette as a duo in in our childhood they were very much like cameo staples they appeared in so much stuff they were in an episode of Full House they have this cute moment in Troop Beverly Hills to me I kind of grew up knowing them as like they were famous back in the day. So now they're cameos and that's, and like, oh, there's a little bit and I know who they are because I watched these things. And so to actually see them so young, not teenagers though, <laughs> like, and, and do it. This movie was so weird. So weird. So yeah, I, weird. I, I was like, I don't, I almost don't know where to start with it 
And I feel like this is going to be very similar to small rants we did during our what if one, where it was like to really understand this movie, you need to understand these weird studio idiosyncrasies and how these companies evolved and changed. Because this was AIP, the American International Pictures. And apparently what I was reading is that they were trying to revive like juvenile delinquent stories at first. And they wanted to kind of go back to this like gangster meets rebel without a cause. We're now like eight or nine years away from that. And they were like, it's time. And the director was like, no. (laughs) What teenagers want now is like freedom, sexuality, music. So we need them to be in skimpy costumes. We need music going and it's gotta be funny. And they just did that. And like some of these other companies that I I feel like this still happens. Um, We talk so much of like the Western to the superheroes and genres and the beach genre like took over Hollywood for five years in the sixties to the point that even like surfs up jokers down the like infamous batman 66 episode was trying to do this like the 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 amount of things it hit every studio tried to do these giant polished versions of it and everyone was like no we want the cheap grungy aip ones get your high budgets out of here you're spending too Uh, much money on this please stop (laughs) and you know in watching it and it's crazy so for people who don't know before i get into like you can i can see every comedy i love in this movie before you get into it i just want to say to our audiences if you're listening to this and you have not seen beach party pause this podcast right (laughs) now and go watch beach party because we will not do it justice in our explanations also there's such a good cameo that we are going to spoil that you need to learn for yourself so stop and listen (laughs) sorry blake continue yeah, it's, uh, it's impossible to do this movie justice because it's bonkers. The story follows two adolescents who are just going to a beach house. They're singing a lovely song and they keep saying, it'll be like we're married. Yeah, it's going to be the two of us. It'll um, be like we're married. We're fine. Which I think sets up in such a weird way how great both of their characters are. Because one guy is like, it means we're going to be married, which means we're going to screw around. It. And the girl is like, it's going to be like we're married, which means like, I'm going to be his gal. Nobody else for you, just you and I forever. (laughs) And then she has invited... um, Everyone. Everyone. (laughs) Every person. Every person they know is living in this beach house with them, which is amazing that somebody wanted to not have sex so badly (laughs) that they were like, I will throw a rager on this beach for a week to stop you from having sex with me. Yeah. And it's so comical because it's like a tiny little cabin and they're just like floor to floor. Just floor people to people. Like just, they're just centipede of people on top of each other. And it's, it's insane. It's yeah, it's so, and I, I'm sure if you saw this movie in 1963, you had seen nothing like it. When I really think about this and I even think about other comedies at the time, I'm like, oh, of course this blew up. There was, was nothing, mm-hmm. nothing else did this. So unlike this, anything else on screen. Yeah, yeah, this must have been how they felt when I saw American Pie for the first time. It was like, whoa, I didn't yeah. even know. Uh, the villain who I still think 
is he's just like a less suave Ian Malcolm. He just he has a couple of those like uh uh uh. uh I would not uh, call him the villain of this movie. I mean, Jamie, he's studying them and comparing them it's, to trust. He's, He's the creep of this movie. Sure, but he's also the top build person. He, he like is. this was not. Uh, he must. Uh, Robert Cummings. Jack must Nicholson was the top build person in Batman '89. Well, well, yeah, but but I think that like like this was like it's him, his assistant, whose name I don't know, and then Frankie and Annette. Like Frankie and Annette weren't carrying movies then. Like he is. I loved this guy. Marianne. Oh, he's uh, great. Dorothy Malone. Dorothy Malone was the actress. Um, yeah. He's yeah. weird, but like it was like this, like you keep bringing up American Pie and, and I kept thinking about American Pie too because the comedy in this movie was weird and it was sexual, not as blatantly sexual. No. What we're getting in 99, but- um, For that time, it probably was though. It probably it, equated it, to what it was at that time, yeah. And it's and it's like, and but I, I don't know if I'd call him the villain, but anyway, keep- Keep he going. was when that when he popped the antagonist. out and started watching them. I was like, okay, all right, what are we doing? What is because going the on? Because the villains are the 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 biker gang. The biker gang. That's like one of them is like the spoof off of like a quasi Marlon Brando at that time because he had just done uh, I forgot which movie it was, but they were spoofing him. Uh, but yeah, that's the that's the sort of quote unquote villain. It's so the it's one in this. I, I, he won me over the main guy when he literally came. The the biker had grabbed a uh, net who's who's named Dee Dee in these movies. I don't know why she's not a net. And he's like, you're you're molesting he's, this woman. He's like, excuse me, sir. Uh, I hate to interrupt, but you're molesting this young lady. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. Yes, stop this. All right. He's not a villain, but he is like an antagonist to the teens. Sure. In a way, he's stopping yeah. them from the goal. He's studying them. Um, yes, we then meet a crazy biker gang. Uh, there's people having sex behind surfboards as if as if everybody on the beach is only going to see them from the same view as us the audience correct they just put up a surfboard and like <laughs> that does it there will be anybody behind us or to the sides uh the professor is able to uh put you in time stasis by touching your temple the right way he's constantly referring to um I don't even know what the correct term would be, indigenous peoples of other tribes that he's studied in not terrible, but not great ways either. Um, He, you know, we have a whole sequence where he has to shave and become this younger, I'm a new me. He like morphs into this like Austin Bowers character. The movie's incredible. There's original songs. Yeah. Well, that's what um, I, it was, it's funny because I remember, I remember when I used to watch American Idol. And I remember when they made that from Justin Kelly, and I'm like, why would why would they make that movie? This is dumb. And I'm like, oh, this is exactly what they were trying to go off of. Like, this is literally what they were trying. That would suck, but that's what they were trying to recreate. I'm like, oh, there's it, an entire genre of this that exists. Who for knew? me, it was Animal House. That's what I was like. Oh, this is this is proto Van Wilder. This is just like they're gonna take this dynamic and put it in a college. And that's going to make the like college sex coming of age stories. That's where I very much was like, oh, I see how this influenced everything that I know. <laughs> it's funny to me though, because I feel like this, whereas Rebel with the Cause felt like they were actually hearing and listening to what the kids, those teens were thinking about. This one feels like more like adults were saying, this is all the teens want. Like teens are all about sex and dancing and partying. And that's what, that's what a teen is. And that's so much like what the 60s became. 
is like the all the counterculture was like look at what the teens are doing now they're just they're out of their dances and having sex it's almost what like red's point of view in that 70s show is where he's just like you kids are just running around drinking beer and sex everywhere in between like whatever he's like i can't think of the exact line but he's like it's just party all day dance all night and sex everywhere in between <laughs> Uh, I've been rewatching that 70s show and and he I just want to say to the world that the fact that him Kurtwood Smith and Deborah Joe Rupp never got nominated for Emmys is an absolute stain on the history of television. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Oh yeah. And it's uh it's funny because I was watching this and my roommate was like, this doesn't pair with Miss Marvel. And it was the one area where I was like, Yeah, I don't think the show we're watching is gonna become like a sex romp at any point. Um but it definitely has a lot of the same like themes of like of rebellion and discovery and independence and experimentation and just like I want to know who I am and other mm -hmm. people wanting to and like quite literally the observing of it from the outside I think has such an impact on what these movies become it's like it's very literal in this but there's always a parental or dean or whatever it is like watching the new generation in almost right. every single one of these movies, whether it's the dad in American Pie or like the Dean in every Van Wilder movie or like mm -hmm. in this one, her parents are obviously watching and there's, there's always somebody, while the character is growing up, there's always somebody else who's grown trying to understand them at the same time. That's yeah. usually the juxtaposition you get. And I feel like it's, very on the nose here but uh but it's great it's such a like a beautiful little era of time it's, and this like it is very relic. much a time capsule very much a time capsule of the era i, I again i was watching this and like wait the hell is vincent Pri what are we vincent price is here <laughs> what is a very big surprise the whole movie tony's like who's ever under that hat in the background better be good and it was a good reveal <laughs> And I want to just quickly say that I watched the second movie, which isn't quite as good, but still pretty good. Um, and it had in the middle, the most bananas scene. I, I, I can't even describe how insane the scene is. It, the whole movie is not as crazy, but this one scene. And then in the end, the like hidden person of that scene shows up and it's another great cameo. And I won't spoil that one because you guys haven't seen it. But Vincent Price it comes back at some point in one of these movies and like stars in it with Frankie Avalon. <laughs> I don't remember which the title, but there is going to be another like Vincent Price beach party movie coming up on this list. I love it. I think it's, I think it's time to bring the beach party movies back. Let's do it. I guess they tried in like 1987. Well, no, well, well, they did like Frankie and Annette came back for like return. Yeah. But a couple of years ago, maybe, I don't know, within the last 10 years, they uh, it was Disney or Nickelodeon. I can't remember which one did Teen Beach Party, which um, is Ross Lynch, I believe, like rose to fame that way. And I, and I wanted to try to squeeze it in because I was curious because uh, I know that that movie blew up very much for young people. And it's in, in just based on the title, it's very clear. It's they were pulling That's from that. Doing, yeah. It's also a musical. Um, one thing I will say about the Beach Party musical is that the music is not good because <laughs> they just repeat the same things. So it's like, hubba -lubba -doo -boo -ah. <laughs> oh my God. When they start doing the like ring around the Rosie song to like protect the guy and then they just start doing the, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is like a <laughs> <your> song. 
there's one thing also I want to mention from the second. So the second movie is called Muscle Beach Party and their beach gets infiltrated by a bunch of like muscle guys who are like practicing. As one would. Correct. Yeah, they're like, they're like Arnold guys. They're all like, and Don Rickles is their like coach trying to get them into their muscle shape. But um, they all have like little names and one of them is Hulk and they all have their own colors and Hulk wears a green tank. And I looked it up and Muscle Beach Party came out like only a year or two after Hulk debuted, and I'm and I'm very curious if this was like the first movie to ever make like a Hulk joke. I I, I don't know. I didn't Google it, but it was definitely one of the first. Oh, I would not be surprised. Yeah. This it's so. I said it when we started this one, but I, I just can't believe how much this movie that like no one's heard of anymore, <laughs> unless you're like really in the know. It it just has impacted so much. I mean, even today. The McFarlane toy line was like, we have the 60s Batman surfs up Joker's down toy coming out. And I was like, we're still coming back to that episode, which is from this movie. We're still pulling from these ideas and these, and these things. It's nuts. But the best part about it and the best way to move on from it is to do exactly what AIP did, which is after seven movies, one of the producers just went, they're not into it anymore. The last <laughs> movie still made money. And the producer just went, I think it's, I think we're done. And then they made slot car racing movies. Like this was, what a, like, just such a weird little company that would just go, they were going to do this one for five years. We're done. It would be like if Disney after the Avengers was like, that's <laughs> it. We're done. The superheroes are over. Now it's uh, train robberies that we're going to do forever. And then they did that for five years. Insane. Um, but that brings us into the seventies with George, George Lucas's, Second, technically, because he has that short film, but his first Coppola-produced feature, which Jamie was 100% right, American Graffiti should feel a lot like Rebel Without a Cause, because this is really more me talking, but I feel like this is one of the first big movies where nostalgia was a marketing tool, where we were like, come back and feel like the 60s again. The tagline was, where were you in 62? 50s nostalgia was sort of on the rise right before the 80s when it was everywhere and I was like this really seemed like one of the first efforts to like hearken back to an era instead yeah. of just be the era but what did you guys think what, what do you what do y'all think I love American Graffiti I, I I grew up on it because you know when Star Wars is your favorite movie you're checking out the dude's other shit and um, I really love this movie. What's interesting to watch it, right? So it was made in 73, but it takes place in 62. And 62, it's kind of like that first episode of WandaVision when we're like, Dick Van Dyke is the 60s. Why do they keep calling this the 50s episode? It's the same thing. It, American Graffiti feels like the 50s, even though it's 62, because that, you know, that's how time works. It's yeah. still that era. And it's, it's still weird. like the, the, the feed off of the runoff of the back end of those years. Yeah. And it's such a, like, this is a, coming of age story i mean this is their last night before they're all going to go off or they're going to college they're struggling with the decision some of them are you know stuck behind yep. all this stuff but and, and as its own coming of age teen movie i love it but it was watching it after rebel without a cause was so interesting because it glorifies that time in such a, a way whereas like rebel without a cause was like made it, it was actually made in 1955 and it felt grimy and the pain of that rough yeah whereas whereas in in by the time you get to the 70s you, you're looking back on that time with with like rose-colored glasses like that was a good time yeah and <laughs> like and, and it's very much I mean this movie is like very sweet and fun 
And then the, the end is fucking two of them are dead. It, it does that. Like I always think of it as the fast times thing, but this movie's before fast times where they, you know, the teen, classic teen movie, they tell you what happened to everybody and they tell you what happened to the four core guys. And like one of them dies in the war. One of them gets in a car accident. One of them's living in Canada. So he probably was dodging some shit. Um, but it's, but it's, but it's like, Whoa, I didn't need that. But also it was a good way to kind of, to, to rip you back into because yeah we do have they well we they had nostalgia for that time but it wasn't that's not really what it was um but but either way i i think i love that movie it's just it's just it's just written so well all the all the characters are so ripe and it's interesting for me to see ron howard so i, I believe this movie was a year before happy days started um, and you know, you, so you associate Ron Howard with that time period. Cause that's around the same, but, but Richie Cunningham is such a sweet, wholesome guy and his character in American graffiti is kind of a fucking asshole. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and his girl, I think should have just cut him loose instead of getting him to stay. Um, but, uh, but it's I'm, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh yeah, he's, he's not that great of a guy. Um, Richard Dreyfuss. Mm, so good. Just everybody in this movie. It's a crazy I'm, cast. Yeah, when you, it's a who's who of cast when you exactly. look at it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a bit, it's not like my favorite teen movie, but I do think it's, it's one of the more serious ones on our list as well, just in terms of like, you're, there's not, there's laughs, but there's not a ton of laughs. It's more about the emotions. It's more about like most of our movies that we're talking about are like teen comedies where this is very much coming of age. Yeah. The, yeah. There's a, there's a stark difference with like American pie with those are sex comedies, but we still, most of those are comedies. Every now and then you'll get a comedy. This is other brands me a lot, even though I did not like the movie uh, crap. I'm blanking out on it, but um, this reminds me of the movie, the film that just came out this past year with, uh, with uh, uh, the younger girl, hitting i mean the uh, the younger man boy hitting licorice on. pizza licorice pizza as uh, far as being as the, the time period it's like it's a capsule of that day or of that moment that is okay. sort of kind of reminds I, mean, I love me licorice pizza but i get what you're saying yeah and so that's kind of where this is I, I i dig this movie a lot it's it's um a very nostalgic what i love though it's this is the first time that i noticed it's one of those films that i studied also in, in film history it's the first film that kind of actively used music as being sort of the key point to kind of get you through to like, all right, how I'm going to remind you of that era. I'm going to bust you over there with as much music as I possibly can. And I, and I think it's a cool thing that Lucas chose to, music is throughout the entire time. And when he wants you to hit it with a serious scene or a, 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 a dramatic moment, he just kills the music. There's no sound, like, and, which is a fun kind of like, cause normally it's the opposite way, but to, like we usually use sound or music to kind of like, I'm going to bring up the score, bring up this moment. He uses silence. And I was like, oh, that's a cool little trick, but like, any movie you think about or anything just like you think about, you remember the stuff, the music you were listening to, the, the TV shows that were on, the books you were reading at that point in time. And so this movie does a smart thing of like, I'm just going to beat you over the head and like all that nostalgia that you felt in that that era, that's what this movie is. And it just, it's indoctrined into the DNA and it just makes that that part of that childhood or that, that part of your life, it just emanates immediately from this movie. Yeah, it's a it's another one that also I was like, ooh, what a lost way of doing. We don't film movies like this anymore. A lot of long shots with one take where we're just watching these people talk. Um, I Yeah, it's great. I don't think you could ever say it wasn't. I think when I was in high school, I knew a few people who were like, oh, have you seen his American graffiti movie? What a dumb thing. But it's like, you know, you'll watch Empire Strikes Back and then someone brings you this. You're like, well, that's not 
It's not the same. I'm guy, gonna do right? this. Oh, I don't want to watch Dead Alive after I watch Lord. <laughs> I mean, I do, but some people don't yeah. want to watch that, right? But it, it, it's so funny, like how important this movie is, because <laughs> it, it we jettison George Lucas into Star Wars, and obviously Star Wars is all around you now. Uh, Harrison Ford, so many just like career defining moments in this yeah. in this movie. And to Jamie's point, it is more of like the drama. But I think what's interesting is how dramatic comedies used to be. Like we now kind of have more dramedies in its own little like slice genre. But I feel like this was what used to just be like, it's a comedy, but it's still a, a movie. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to have these big, huge moments. And then, yeah, you can just feel like the breadcrumbs of John Hughes moments, these like disagreements about sex and arguments about music and blasting soundtracks. This was, to Terrence's point, an expensive soundtrack at the time. And now I feel like almost every, every movie has an original soundtrack album, whether or not music is used the way it is in Guardians of the Galaxy or 80s John Hughes movies um, or Wild Wild West for the ending. But yeah, it really, it also, I think is one of the very first times that we like used politics in the background. Jamie talked about the ending and this implication of draft dodging. And it's such a weird juxtaposition of how the world is going to grow up with these kids. And so many coming of age stories after are about growing up with something else in the background. It very much reminded me of like of Lady Bird, which is not a 9-11 movie, but like 9-11 is in the DNA of that film. It's like, it's brought up in the background. All of these things are happening on the news and it's very, it's like evoked thematically throughout it. Or even like Clerks, which was very, how the world around them was changing and how they were growing up and falling behind because of all these things happening. I feel like so many now when people are like, movies aren't political, I'm like, they all are, but they're doing it American graffiti style where it's like, hey, this is all like fun and they're learning and optimistic, but here's the title card at the end to remind you that like the world was also there. All of this stuff was coming. I also think people often say that a film is political when it is going against the views that they believe in, like that's the only it becomes political then otherwise it's like oh no this is a great film like that's, yeah that's when they it's not talking about something that i want to talk about so now it's trying to be political or woke or but I, yeah i guess what i mean more is like you could talk about this movie yeah. without bringing up politics Correct. but like Correct. politics is baked into the dna of it, it. the same way it is in like the original star wars and old superhero mm-hmm. movies and it's baked into everything but this like unlike rebel without a cause which was so much about james dean and him and his life and his coming of age this was very much like that with these characters but we were aware of what was happening around them too of like the news and what was coming and i think that's also you know part of the advantage of this is a movie in the 70s about the 60s where they really could be like here's how it would have affected them 
you know, thinking about it, like thinking about the seventies, when I was looking at seventies, there's aren't a lot of teen seventies movies that take place in the seventies. I mean, uh, you know, Greece is my, as we've discussed, my favorite movie um, that was made uh, in the seventies, uh, but it takes place in 59 and, uh, and it's still very much a teen movie, uh, you know, and I think that like this, there's a lot of it was just going back because the times were, you know, nom and shit and they're like, things were rough and and, you know, and I wasn't, I don't think until Animal House was 78. And, and the reason why I didn't, you know, suggest that, or we didn't talk about that, I think is because one, I think college movies count, but I think you got to draw the line when you have only six episodes and you got to like, well, we're, uh, but, it's very much the teen era that we're yeah, focusing but, but on. Movies, but movies like Animal House did pave the way for when we get to American Pie. Clearly American Pie is our cornerstone. Uh, we, I think we that are, was our, yeah, exactly. That's like, that's yeah, yeah. Um, when we're, we are we we are doing a 1999 episode, we're going to talk about it then. Uh, but that, that movie was changed me. And, uh, and, and I think that, uh, but the, but the seventies, I, I, kind of wish I would have um like talked to my dad who about this because he was like a teen in the 70s and I, and I wish I would have asked him like what as a teen he was watching you know like were, does he have any memories of like being represented on screen at the time that he was existing you know it's interesting is if you sort of look back at our WandaVision stuff when we talked about the 70s we, we said something very similar of like the Vietnam of it all and TV had become so reflective of the first time we were filming the war and it was on. And the sitcoms were so Brady Bunch and escapism and get away. And, you know, all you hear right now in 2022, our second, third year of COVID, of pandemic, is everybody, everyone I know is like, I don't want the COVID movie. I don't want the COVID comedy. I don't want the COVID serious movie. I don't want the COVID horror movie. I don't want to show, I don't want it. And I think that's very much how the sentiment probably was in the seventies. We were doing a lot more sci-fi, Jaws, Star Wars, Superman, where like the, the end of that time in movies was genre movies, mm -hmm. was like, who cares when it is? We were getting into adventure things and, uh, gangster and crime movies were coming back that were also based in different time periods and we were getting horror in different ways Halloween and slashers were on the way and the 70s is such a weird filmmaking time because of that we're sort of avoiding it and then towards the end we start really doing the things like Apocalypse Now when we start making the war movies that are like all of this stuff until we got to Top Gun and it was fun again like it's such a this 70s movies are so interesting for that reason because when you go back and find them you're either like really depressed or you're like in this in like sci-fi horror heaven <laughs> like that's yeah. it's weird it's a very interesting time Jamie and I think you're right like I've never really thought about that either um because even like that 70s show like Vietnam it's, it's the late 70s like we're even then, even still now, we're like not really getting into it. I think Westerns were also still coming out, but those were dying. The interesting thing about that 70s show, which starts in like 77, um, then they, you know, they it, it lasted eight years, so they had to kind of readjust the yeah. time. But you don't hear a lot about Nam. You, you hear about Red talking about Korea. 
because that's the age gap. Like the kids were too young for to get to Nam, and he was too old for for Nam. So you right. you hear more about Korea, which I think is interesting. Um, I'm I can't wait for that '90s show just because of I'm so interested of the reflections uh, and how that's that's all going to come together. Oh yeah, we don't need to stand this too long, but I just pulled up like the top seventy movies, and it is interesting when you're just like right away. Logan's Run, Close Encounters, Soylent Green, Willy Wonka, Badlands. It all gets like high fantasy and sci-fi or it's like The Godfather, Amityville, Deliverance. Like it's very avoiding of that time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, being in the moment at that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you say Badlands and that's actually a good example of, of, um, of like teen, uh, but would did, but did that take place? I just watched Badlands, um, and that's very much a, that that could go up there with Rebel Without a Cause in terms of similar um, themes. Yeah, yeah, that would be. But you're right. I actually I don't know what year it takes place, and then and some of it is like a lot of the big ones are late seventies. Like it really, you know, Jaws, Carrie, but that's fine. So that's sort of where we were. The only other thing I wanted to reference before we're like, why did we compare these three movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s to a 2002 pilot about Kamala Khan in the MCU? (laughs) Uh, And according to masterclass.com, which is where I could find the best defining instance of coming of age genres, because we could all do it ourselves, but why not have this website that won't even tell me who wrote the article about it do it? Obviously, young adult stuff, and there we go. Well, that's annoying. So really, it says that it follows a protagonist and their transition from childhood to adulthood, which I think has now expanded to any change of any period of your life. The genre of storytelling is usually popular with literature and movies in Hollywood will feature the stories about critical junctures between childhood and adulthood, romance, graduations, rebellion all of the things that we've sort of touched on and then it talks a lot about how like first was all adaptations of books little women wizard of oz and then here we are so why do these three ones do you think hit is it thematic is it just the evolution that we're on i feel like you can pull a lot from even like beach party and american graffiti into even what happened in the pilot with just her resistance and want to escape and independence yeah, I mean, with with Rebel, with the dog, it, it's different, but there is a thing here with Kamala and her, with the way that her parents are and the culture that she's in, that they have a, a tighter grip on her than I think she 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 would desire. So she's asking for that, like she's bucking the system, and it's always that thing where teens, there's a point in time, especially with girl, I, Jamie can probably speak to this more, but there's a point in time where girls and moms become each other's worst enemy. Um, and so that that's kind of that point where they're sort of hitting where that where the the the, the road is hitting the pavement and they kind of just they're they're bucking they're bucking the system and we've seen that with these movies all three of these films have some version of that beach party to a lesser extent it's more they're kind of just being watched uh and the system is being the, the adults are telling us that's what the teens act like but for the other two we kind of see that those teens are getting to that point where they are questioning both themselves, what they're supposed to be doing, the life around them. And then this one has the added benefit of also she's now gaining power. So in addition to growing up as a teen, doing her normal stuff, she's also now getting to this world where 
the people that she used to, well, she does still idolize. She loves and idolizes. She's now about to enter that world with him. And that's going to get screwy too. Because if she starts seeing that the sheen that they had may not be the sheen that she wants to wear, it's going to be an exciting time for a teenage girl to go through all of that shit at once. I agree. I think you also see a lot of the stuff we sort of talked about with American Graffiti, the world's changing around her too. Mm -hmm. And I think she, like in a lot of these movies, um, adulthood looks exciting. There's always kind of a like, I want to get there. Whatever MacGuffin thing of like what it means to be an adult is there, uh, Beach Party aside, because I feel like that's similar to the college movies like the teens have no supervision so we are just observing them it is kind of the like they they've done it they've made it to the independence and now we can explore and be ourselves but the other two are so like well, i've got to get to this and it's our last summer and we're going to get to this and then you know we see those four heroes at the end of american graffiti and what they all got and it's interesting is i think we know we're the superheroes end or don't end if you want to compare it to like cap going off or tony or to jamie's point we've seen the trauma of these shows and the the trauma of the world of the mcu and we're watching a girl who grew up watching them the way that like we watch athletes not even i don't even want to say like we watch superheroes because that's pop culture i'm going to use like i guess athletes is the best i can think of Mm -hmm. and it's like ooh don't you want to do that? And you want to go to the conventions and see the adults and they're incredible and they say the right thing and they do it. And then you get under the hood of it. And you're like, and, oh crap. And I think that's going to be a big part of this show is like mm-hmm. what happens, what you get, when you get what you want and when you grow up and maybe you grow up too fast and maybe you get things that you thought you were ready for, but you're not. Cause we've seen a lot in these legacy stories of, of like, don't meet your hero. And I think even like Spider-Man's story was the best case scenario of meeting your hero. And we've seen it in so many other places in the MCU. And now we're really seeing this like, it's not really about meeting your hero. It's about becoming, becoming that hero. Yeah. And it's not whatever uh, Vought Light is doing in the MCU to make it all look pretty and fun. It is like, Captain Marvel's off another world and Ant-Man has a podcast and Tony snapped and died and the Hulk's arm is destroyed and Clint is deaf and like all of these, all of our older heroes have these scars now Mm -hmm. that clearly isn't at AvengerCon. There was no little quarter that was like, do you guys want to see the tragedy? (laughs) I will say that it was, it did please me that they gave both Tony and Widow the memorial. I was like, good, it's not just Tony anymore. She's gone. Please give her, her her flowers. Oh yeah. I mean it's uh it's interesting. I like I'm very excited to see where it goes. I think you're right. I think we, we get a lot of the DNA, especially in like the first episode with our first coming of age stories, as that kind of set that ground of like, this is what we're gonna deal with. She's gonna be rebelling with her parents the whole time. We haven't really met a traditional antagonist yet. So I am curious, are we just going to kind of keep it coming of agey and have it more be like rebelling against people? Or are we going to get some super powered? It is an MCU show. And as we sort of said on WandaVision, we played grief and we did fun and we did our sitcoms, but then we had a big sci-fi battle at the end. Yeah, We're we're always going to have the big battle at the end. Um, So that, 
that has to come. Obviously, we're going to get more about the bracelets and these powers and all this other stuff. But that's our show, guys. I know this one was longer. There was a lot to cover as we got through the grounds. Uh, we have a lot more fun stuff coming up. Obviously, what this is really going to get into is the is 1999 overall. The uh, a lot of people call it the golden age of usually like the romantic comedies, but there's so much other coming of age stuff in there too. Just a treasure trove of independent weird voices. We have everything from the 2000s, Booksmart, Eighth Grade, John Hughes is coming. We stepped off in the 70s, so. Like every history podcast, we have to hit the 80s, which we will not stop referencing now, apparently. That's uh, that's it. That's where we all ended. But For those listening to, um, who, are, who are watching along with us, next week is our John Hughes retrospective because you don't, wouldn't have the modern teen comedy without John Hughes. But also, I highly recommend watching Fast Times at Ridgemont High because that was made in 1983, and it really, it also is very much the pinnacle. It is it is, I don't, I, in, in a way, I think one of the, the first, the famous, the one. Uh, and I think that, and even if we're not touching on it much next week, I, I highly recommend giving it a watch. She's absolutely right. Um, do it and then leave us a review and then share it with your friends and then follow. I'm at, as always, Blake, Terrence is at Terrence Tatum and Jamie is at Jamie Cinematics. We obviously have the Hollywood Already Did It podcast about reboots, remakes, and sequels. Terrence says the Hollywood already did a YouTube channel for trailer reactions and show-by-show reviews. And Jamie has phase zero that she's on and all of her other writing at comicbook.com. And we will see everybody next week for the next six weeks. (laughs) Later.